Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. When the Torah presents us with a genealogy, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, who was the father of so-and-so, who married so-and-so, and so on, our first natural reaction, honestly, is boredom. It's tedious. <clears throat> and yet, as I have pointed out before, there are very often, I would say always, some gems of information which are hidden in these genealogies. And so we find here in Parsha's Va'era. Near the beginning of the Parsha, Perak uh, Vav, Pasig Yud Gimel, the Torah tells us that Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, and he commanded them regarding Bnei Yisrael and regarding Paro, the king of Egypt, Lahotzi es Bnei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim, to take out the Bnei Yisrael from the land of Mitzrayim. Okay, so the Torah tells us that Moshe and Aaron they are the ones who are going to perform this task. And then the Torah uh, begins a genealogy, which seems pretty obvious just from the text itself, is aimed at telling us just who Moshe and Aaron are. Because if we keep going towards the end of the genealogy, it goes as far as It tells us that uh, Amram married Yocheved, and they had three children, Aaron, Moshe, Aaron and Moshe. It doesn't mention Miriam here. So it goes as far as telling us that, that the parents of Aaron and Moshe were Amram and Yocheved. It goes a little bit farther into some of the, the descendants of Amram's brothers. It mentions uh, that Aaron got married to a woman named Elisheva Basami Nadav. And it tells us also about Aaron's son, Elazar, and who he married. And then that's the end of it. It says in Pasuk Havav, Hu Aarena Moshe, this is Aaron and Moshe, Asher Amar Hashem Lahem, that Hashem said to them, Hotziu es Bnei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim al tzivaysam. Take out from the Bnei Yisrael from Eretz Mitzrayim in all of their multitudes. So it is clear, simply from the text itself, that the purpose of this genealogy is to identify Moshe and Aaron. However, the Pasuk begins with Shevet Ruven and Shevet Shemain and other parts of Shevet Levi. As the, the first element in the, in the genealogy is here in Pasuk Yudalit, it says, Eila Roshe Beisavaisam, these are the heads of their families of their fathers, B'nei Ruvain, Bechor Yisrael, the children of Ruvain, who is the Bechor Yisrael, the firstborn of Yaakov Avinu, who are his children, Hanoch, Ufalu, Chesron, Vecharmi, okay, those are his four children, Hanoch, Falu, Chesron, and Karmi, Eva Mishpachos Ruvain, these are the families of Ruvain. And then Pasuk Tezvav tells us of B'nei Shimain, these are the children of Shimain, and these are the children of Levi, Gershon, Kahasa, Murari. So 
the, the purpose of this genealogy seems to be to tell us about the family of Moshe and Aaron, but it begins with Ruvain and Shimon, and even with uh, parts of B'nai Levi, parts of Shevet Levi, who are not the uh, ancestors of Moshe Rabbeinu directly. Rashi comments on this, and Rashi gives two explanations. Rashi says, Eilu Roshay Beisav Beisam, these are the heads of their families. Since the Torah found it necessary to relate, to show the yichos, to show the genealogy of the tribe of Levi, Ad Moshe Aaron, up until, meaning going down the chain until we arrive at Moshe and Aaron, Bishvil Moshe Aaron, because of Moshe Aaron, because the Torah wants to tell us where they came from. So So the Torah began to relate them, to show their ancestry through the generations, beginning with Ruvain. So it's uh, kind of an introduction that, uh, yes, there was Ruvain, he had so, such and so many children, and there was Shimon, had these and these children, and Levi had these and these children, and amongst those children, eventually, if you follow the, the chain, down, you will arrive at Moshe Aaron. We'll talk more about this later. That's Rashi's first explanation. And now Rashi gives a midrashic uh, homiletical explanation. In the midrash, which is called Psikta Hagdaila, Raisi, I saw as follows. <clears throat> Since Yaakov was mekanter, he quarreled, he criticized these three shvatim, bishas moso. If we look at the brachas that Yaakov gave to each of the each of his children before he died, so you will see that uh, Ruvain, he criticized for what he did with uh, Bilhah. And Shimon, he criticized for what he did by going to war with Shechem. And Levi, also he criticized for going to war with Shechem. So these three shvatim, did not really receive direct blessings from their father Yaakov. They were, he was makan to them, he quarreled with them, he criticized them. So since Yaakov criticized these three shvatim when he died, so chazar hakasuv the achsam kan libadam. So here scripture comes and it comes to uh, show their yichus by themselves. Leimar, in order to say, shechashuv heim, that they are important. You might have uh, you might have concluded from reading Parshas uh, Vayechi that there, there's something seriously wrong with Shevet, Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, because Yaakov criticized all three of them and really didn't have anything nice to say about them. So here the Torah is coming to kind of uh, pay them back, to kind of make it up to them, because here um, the Torah. Uh, says these are the children of Ruvain and these are the children of Shimon and these are the children of Levi. Okay, I'd like to address these two Perushim of Rashi separately. Although certainly they are, they are there is an important connection between them which we will discuss in Mir Sashem. But according to Rashi's first explanation that the Torah wanted to tell you the Yichus of Shevet Levi because it wanted to get, it wanted to get to Moshe and Aaron. Uh, therefore, 
it started not only from Levi, but it started from Levi's two older brothers, Reuben and Shimon. The question is, why do you have to do that? Why don't you just start with Shevet Levi? Why doesn't the Torah begin? These are the families of Levi. Gershon, Kahasum, Rari, and uh, from Kahas, you go down a couple of generations and you get to Moshe and Aaron. Or even you could have said, uh, these are the uh, ancestors of Moshe and Aaron. And I could have just mentioned who their mother and father was. We find two approaches to this in the, in the Mepharsha. <clears throat> Ramban says that if the Torah would have begun with Shevet Levi, if it would have said, these are the families of Levi, Gershon, Kohasim, Rori, and uh, from Kohas, you get uh, Amram, and from Amram, you get Moshe and Aaron. If it would have started with Shevet Levi, it would have appeared that Levi is from now on the Bukhar, in honor of Moshe Rabbeinu. Since Levi is the progenitor of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, so it would have looked, it would have looked like, it would have looked as if the Bukhara, at least the honor of Bukhara, if not all the halachas of Bukhara, but at least the honor of Bukhara had been transferred to Levi. The Ramban says, The Torah did not want to begin by saying, these are the names of B'nai Levi. So that it should not appear that Levi is now the Bechor Hayachas. He is uh, counted as the first one. From now on, Moshe, as an honor to Moshe because Moshe is descended from Levi. So therefore the Torah started with Ruven, started with the real Bukhar. That's the Ranban. And we can add to the Ranban, he doesn't say this explicitly, but I think it's quite simple based on his words, that this is why the Torah here identifies Ruven as Bukhar Yisrael. It seems to be somewhat superfluous. I mean, if he's the first one, he's the Bukhar, you don't have to remind me of that. Why does the Pasuk make a point of telling us that Reuven is the Bechor Yisrael? Because according to Ramban, it's very good why the Torah does that. Because the whole point of beginning with Reuven rather than with Levi is so that one shouldn't think that Levi is the Bechor rather than Reuven. So when the Torah begins here with Reuven, it emphasizes that, no, Reuven is the Bechor, no one else. Okay, that is one approach. Another approach is given by the, is presented by the Gurariye. Okay, the Gurariye says, in summary, that the point of the, the point of starting this genealogy from Ruvain and not from Moshe is to be mevarer, is to clarify and to bring out the special qualities of Moshe and Aaron. In other words, the Pasuk is saying, the Torah is telling us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to appoint someone to be the Goyal, to be the Redeemer of Kalah Yisrael, to take them out of Eretz Mitzrayim. And he couldn't find any person who was worthy of, of this task amongst Bnei Ruve. And he couldn't find any person who was worthy of this task amongst Bnei Shimon. And even when he started to look into the very special and holy tribe of Levi, 
he couldn't find anybody who was worthy until finally he came to Moshe Rabbeinu and his brother Aaron. The Sefer Imre Shefer adds on that this is very similar to what, you, what we find in Sefer Shmuel Aleph, that Shmuel Anavi <coughs> was told by HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he should go to the house of Yishai, the father of David, and he will find there one of Yishai's sons, and he should appoint him, he should anoint him to be the new king, following Shaul. So Shmuel Anavi went to the house of Yishai, and Yishai had uh, a whole bunch of sons, and he brought out his sons, and Shmuel Anavi, uh, he looked at the first son, he said, oh, I think you're the one, and the Kodesh Baruch said, no, that's not the one. And uh, Yishai brought out another son, and Shmuel looked at him, and he thought, maybe this is, this is the new king, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, no, no, no. He went through all of, Yishai, all of Yishai's sons, and by each one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Shmuel, that's not the one. Finally, Shmuel said to Yishai, do you have any more children? And Yishai said, I have this one little kid named David, he's out pastoring the, uh, he's out tending to the flocks. So Shmuel said, bring him in. Turns out, David Amelech, he's the special one. He's the one who is worthy to be the king. And not only to be the king, but ultimately to be the father, to be the progenitor of Mashiach, to be the Goya, to be the redeemer. So the Imre Shefer says that we're really going through the same process here with Moshe and Aaron. The Torah didn't, doesn't just start by saying, that uh, the father, father and mother of Moshe and Aaron are Amram and Yochevet. Okay, so that doesn't tell us anything about the process of selection. The Torah begins by telling us that there was a Shevet Ruvain, but no redeemer over there. There was a, there's a Shevet Shimon, but there's no redeemer over there. There's a Shevet Levi, and the first couple of generations there also, there's no redeemer. Finally, you go all the way down the chain, so you come to Moshe and Aaron, those are the guys, those are the special people who are fit to be the redeemers. Okay, I'd like to go back to the second explanation in Rashi. Let's review it. The Psikta Hagdailo, in the Midrash, Psikta Hagdailo, Raisi, I saw as follows. Because Yaakov, criticized these three Shvatim, Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi, when he was distributing brachas before his death. So, So the Pasek scripture comes here to show their yichus here by themselves. To say, to show that they are important. Here you have a separate yichus just for these three tribes, not, not of any of the other tribes. So this uh, restores to them some of the importance, some of the honor that really is due to them, despite uh, some of the mistakes that they made, despite, despite the fact that Yaakov had some very legitimate uh, criticisms of them. The question is, however, that why is this uh, rehabilitation of the tribes of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi stated specifically in terms of the genealogy of Moshe and Aaron? There could have been uh, just some psukim, I don't know, a posik that says uh, these are the children of Ruben and Shimon and Levi. 
some psukim not about Moshe Rabbeinu. It's, uh, I would assume that it is not by coincidence that this rehabilitation of Reuven, Shimon, and Levi is not placed into the parsha about Moshe Rabbeinu just uh, coincidentally, just for convenience. As the Maral famously wrote, Dvarum Gedolim ain't in the Mikra. Great things do not happen coincidentally. Truth is, even small things probably don't happen co coincidentally, but certainly great things that are recorded in the Torah are not just happenstance. If the rehabilitation of the Shvatim of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi is written in the genealogy of Meshur Rabbeinu, there has to be a reason for that. And so that is my question. What is the reason? Of course, one answer might simply be that what greater rehabilitation of one's reputation could there be than to be mentioned in the same uh, paragraph as Moshe Rabbeinu? I'm not even mentioned in the same book. <laughs> uh, but Ruvain, Shivan, and Levi, they're mentioned here in the same paragraph, in the same little parsha with Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's a very great, that's a complete and full rehabilitation of their reputations, perhaps. But I think there's something more here. There is a fundamental point, which I have discussed in the past, as follows. There is within the Jewish nation, certain groups which are noble, which are, which the members of these groups stand above the average Jew. We have Kohanim, Kohanim have certain special status and special privileges and special importance more than the average Jew. We have Levian, although not as great as the Kohanim, but also they stand apart and they stand above. We have Nevi'im, we have prophets, we have Malachim, we have kings. All of these groups form a sort of uh, nobility, a noble class, which stands above the average person. However, the fundamental point is, is that these noble groups, these groups of nobility, their existence does not lessen the importance of the plain Jew. The fact that we have these important people doesn't mean that the average Jew is any less important. Adarabah, just the opposite. The nobility are only important because they come from the general Klal Yisrael and they represent the general Klal Yisrael. And I think we can see this in two different psukim. One is in Parsha Sazino. Of course, as usual, I prepare the page and I highlight things and then everything disappears. But anyway, here it is. In Parsha's Hazinu, we'll just look at the end of this Pasuk. Moshe Rabbeinu here is talking to the Kla Yisrael, and he's talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he said, Hu asacha vayechaynenecha. He made you, and he was vayechaynenecha. He has established you. Let's see Rashi. Hu ascha uma ba'umais. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made you a nation amongst the other nations. He made you into a nation. Vayechaynenecha says Rashi, b'chol minei basis b'chen. The word v'yechaynenecha is like the word achen, which is a basis, a basis of something, a foundation. The Kodesh Baruch Hu has established you 
with all kinds of basis and foundation. What does that mean? Says Rashi, Mikem Kohanim, from you come the Kohanim, Mikem, or here the, the text is Mikem Kohanechem, it's even a little stronger. From you come your Kohanim, Mikem Nevi'echem, from you come your Nevi'em, your prophets, Mikem Malchechem, and from you come your kings, Krach Shakolbo. You are like a city that everything can be found in it. You go to a little uh, one-horse town somewhere in uh, Wyoming, so you, you can't get everything over there. The old joke was you can't get a good pastrami sandwich in such a place. There's all kinds of things that you can't get there. But if you go to a big city like New York or Chicago, that's Krach Shakolbo. Anything you could possibly want is there, except maybe fresh air. But all different kinds of things are found in the big city. Klai Yisrael is not missing anything. Klai Yisrael has its own kohanim. We don't have to import holy people from some other nation. Klai Yisrael has its own neviim. We don't have to import prophets. We have our own kings. We don't have to import kings. We've discussed in the past certain nations who didn't have their own kings. They had to import their kings from elsewhere. There was nobody amongst them who was really had the proper strength to be a king. They had to find someone from the outside. But Klai Yisrael, we have our own kings. We are a krachsha kolbo, like a big metropolis that has everything in it. So we see here that the existence of Kahanim, Nevi'im, Malachim is not to our detriment, is not to our disgrace. It's not, oh, we're, we're, we're just lowly peasants and the nobility have everything. They're the only ones with any proof. No. The nobility is there because we're here. They came from us. We made them what they are. That's one Pasuk. Another Pasuk is also in sacred Dvorim. In Parshas Dvorim. In Parshas Dvorim, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, reviews the narrative of the Miraglim with the people, goes through the, the, the story and criticizes them for their mistake. And then it says, After all the people of warrior age died from amongst the people, meaning after all the people of a certain age who had been alive at the time of the Chetam Araglam, after they all died, as the Kodesh Baruch Hu decreed, then, then Hashem spoke to me, saying, Rashi explains, on this Pasuk, he writes it. On Pasuk Tezayin. Aval mishiluach meraglim adkan. From the time of the sending forth of the meraglim until here, meaning here is, uh, is the end of the 40 years where Moshe Rabbeinu was giving his big speech. Lo ne'amar vayidaber. It does not say vayidaber. The parsha though, in this parsha, Some texts of Rashi leave out those words. Biparsha or Kiparsha, I'm not going to worry about that now. But you don't find the phrase Vayidaber for a long period of time, from the time of the Shiloh Miraglim until much, much later. El Vayoymer. You only find Vayoymer. But Vayidaber, which is a stronger kind of speech, a more explicit and stronger kind of speech, you don't find for a long time. Lilamedcha, this is to teach you. 
all 38 years that the Jewish nation was nuzzled. They were, they were uh, separated by a Kodesh Baruch by a sort of anger coming from a Kodesh Baruch They were, they were in time out, so to speak, uh, because of the Chet HaMaragla. During all those years, the Dibor, the speech of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, did not come privately, did not come specifically to Moshe Rabbeinu in a Lashen of Chiba, with an expression of, of love, an expression of endearment, Panim El Panim, that Hashem would appear to Moshe Rabbeinu face to face, the Yishuv, and with a with a Yishuv Adas, with a calmness. Ah, let's sit down, let's talk, Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't find that for 38 years. Well, the Medcha, so this is to teach us. She'en Shechina Shura Al-Navim El-Bishvil Yisrael. The Shechina, the divine presence, only rests upon the prophets for the sake of Yisrael, meaning Klal Yisrael is a Kodesh Baruch Hu's beloved nation, and a Kodesh Baruch Hu from time to time for this reason or that reason, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to talk to us. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu finds a person who is on a spiritual level worthy of being this conduit, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu talks to that person. But what if Klai Yisrael has Chas descended to a level at, at which HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want to talk to people like that? Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't talk to the Navi either. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, during those 38 years, was not uh, morally depraved or degraded. It's not that he lost his madrega. He was still the great Moshe Rabbeinu. But since the Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't want to talk to us, at least on a certain level, certain kind of speech, so the Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't talk to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu only merits to speak to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, or to have a Kodesh Baruch Hu speak to him because he is our messenger. He's doing it for us. When a Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't want to talk to us, he doesn't talk to Moshe Rabbeinu either. So we see that the existence of a Moshe Rabbeinu is, is not in any way a shame to us. It's not, a, uh, not something that we should be jealous of. Just the, just the opposite. It is something that we should be very proud of. That we, we produced and we have someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, to whom HaKadosh Baruch Hu will communicate when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to communicate with us. Of course, we're not quite on that level. We're quite below that level, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should talk to us directly. But because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to talk to us, so he took from us somebody who was on that level. He took from us, he chose from amongst us Moshe Rabbeinu, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu talks to him. And perhaps this can explain, this can answer our question. Why is it that this rehabilitation of the tribes of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi is written in the Torah specifically in terms of the genealogy of Moshe Rabbeinu? Why couldn't it have been written somewhere else? Why is it when the Torah wants to tell us that Reuben, Shimon, and Levi are, despite their flaws, despite the criticisms that were waged against them by, by Yaakov, but nonetheless, they are very important. Why is it that the Torah wrote this in the middle of the genealogy of Moshe Rabbeinu? The answer is, that's just the point. 
it is saying that from where do Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron come from? They come from Klal Yisrael. They come from the whole group. They come from Reuben, Shimon, and Levi also, not just from their own parents. And why is Moshe Rabbeinu so great? Only because he is part of Klal Yisrael. Only because he is a representative of every single Shevet, including Reuben, Shimon, and Levi. This is the greatest rehabilitation of the reputation that is possible.